We're going to try and get through the six covenants today. We're going to do a jet tour. That might be a Herculean task, but we'll see how we get it done. Uh, <clears throat> we named the six covenants last week. The Noahic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Priestly, Davidic, and New. And I think it's very important to remember this. That two of those covenants occur in the first 12 chapters of the Bible. And confirmed by chapter 15. That's Abrahamic second covenant. So two of these six covenants occur and are confirmed within the first 15 chapters of the entire Bible. So that undergirds the theme that I've been talking about is that the covenants dictate the storyline of scripture. In fact, the covenants dictate the storyline of history. God is creator. He created the universe. Ephesians 1, 11 says he works all things after the counsel of his will, and he has openly revealed his will through the covenants. And these are the six covenants that actually write and determine and direct all of history. And when you come to understand that, <clears throat> the covenants just jump out at you all over scripture. Most places, they're not mentioned as covenants, but the evidence is there in places you never thought about, in places you read often and read right through, and covenants never came to your mind. So the covenants, the role of covenants in the Bible is the entirety of human history is dictated by covenants. It's the unfolding storyline of the Bible, and they are central to God's plans and constitute the vehicles through which God's kingdom purposes unfold. And God doesn't waste any time into getting around to covenants and setting the storyline for history, which he wrote. And so I put these up here. We're not going to look at them specifically for every covenant because it takes too long. But the features of a covenant, again, are these. Phraseology, and that would be enter into, made, make, confirm. It's covenant language. So if you see a biblical covenant, it always has a specific phraseology. There could be pledges, there's covenant signs, covenant witnesses, there may be consequences, there's conditionality, there's parties to the covenant, and then there is an oath, an oath. So the first one we're going to look at quickly is the Noahic covenant, and I wasn't in here when Rick went through that, so, but I'm just going to touch on it briefly. So the first thing I'd like to ask you is, when you see a rainbow, what are your thoughts? I want you to answer that. I want you to tell me what your thought should be. But what, when you see a rainbow in the past, what do you, what do you think? What crosses your mind? Anything? Flood. Flood? Not again. Not again. Flood. All floods. No flood. God's promise. God's promise. Rainbow. Rainbow. <laughs> what about the rainbow? <laughs> Hey, it's a rainbow. Exactly. <laughs> That's my thoughts when I see it. That's great. God made, God made the rainbow, so God created. So. Okay, God created the rainbow. Created the place there. He promised that he won't destroy the world by flood. Okay. Promise associated with that, right? Think about that. The world will never again be destroyed by a flood. The world. Don't be flood. Don't be saying it's destroyed by flood. But the earth will not be destroyed. 
Greg, well, you, you asked, what do you think of, not necessarily yeah. what are you supposed to think of. It's amazing to me how fascinated people are that there might be a rainbow today. Yeah. And because of the, they know where the rain is and where the sun is and all of that. And uh, and I, I, to me, that's just fascinating that the people being captivated, particularly kids being captivated by the rainbow. And then this is fairly new to me, but when I went through the physics of the fact that it's off of each drop, it's sunlight reflecting off of not the front side of the drop, but the back side. And it's a refraction of the light coming through. That to me is really fascinating and how the train rainbow gets physically formed. And so that's things I think about. Okay. From a world perspective, what is the most probably most common thought proverbially? Pro proverbially, let me see a rainbow. Hot gold, right? Yep. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that what man would think in his fallen state? He sees a rainbow, yeah. a pot of gold. Absolutely. What else would a man think? Money, greed, wealth. Sure, it's got to be there, right? Any more they twisted it though, and people see pride, and especially if it's not a rainbow in the sky, but That's on a exactly. flag or something. Satan's taking God's covenant and has desecrated it. Exactly. For sure. Uh, one comment I did want to make as we talk about these covenants, and that is uh, going through Genesis right now, and just think about this. Genesis is not a story time book. And a lot of times we can look at it that way. There's great personalities in Genesis, there's great stories, uh, great storylines. It's, it's an incredible book. It's an incredible book to read. It has a lot of, of interest. But I want you to know that Genesis is massively theological. Massively theological. God is setting his theology for the entirety of history in Genesis. In Genesis. So, as you read Genesis, you talk about Genesis, you study Genesis, don't become too enamored with the storyline or the uh, participants become enamored with God's theology that he's developing through that. So the first thing we're going to look at then is the Noahic Covenant. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 6. If you would please, we'll look at one verse in Genesis chapter 6 and then we'll turn to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 6 verse 18. One thing I found these covenants is the uh, yeah, the storyline is so huge that it's it's hard. It's really hard to, to condense down and fly through because they're they're massive. And their implications are just massive. Six eighteen, uh, God says to Noah, "But I will establish my covenant with you, and you should go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your wife, sons' wives with you." And let's turn over to chapter eight, verse twenty. Verse 20, chapter 8, verse 20. <clears throat> and a lot of times we think that this covenant was with who? God's covenant was with who? Noah. But it was much more expansive than that. Much more expansive. In fact, it was with the entirety of creation. All of creation, not just Noah. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord... And took of every clean animal, of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar, and the Lord smelled a smoothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, 
So this is actually God speaking to himself. I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. Verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So in... Uh, chapter 9, we see the Noahic Covenant. And uh, if we move over to verse 9, he says, And as for me, behold, I establish. There's a phraseology, covenantal phraseology, I establish. My covenant with you and your descendants after you. So who are the recipients in this covenant? <clears throat> so we see the recipients are, uh, verse 8 then God spoke to Noah and to his sons. So the first recipients are Noah and his sons. Then in verse 9, we see that the covenant is made with Noah and his descendants after you. Also in verse 10, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. So we see that God makes his covenant with Noah, his sons, his descendants with every living creature. That includes every living creature. Man, animal, birds, insects, all beasts. Verse 11, Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. So here he just includes all flesh. Every living thing God makes his covenant with. Then he actually makes a covenant with the earth. Verse 11, never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So this is an expansive covenant. It covers every living thing, and it covers the earth. It covers the earth. Verse 12, and God said, this is a sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. So here we see that this is a perpetual or an everlasting covenant. <coughs> perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the <coughs> rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I remember my covenant which is between me and you. And every living creature of all flesh, the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is a sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So question, what was the main purpose God put the rainbow in the sky? God needs reminding? Well, not really, but put in human terms. Every time God sees a rainbow, he's reminded of the covenant he made. How often does God see rainbows? Maybe continuously? 
rainbow somewhere, maybe <coughs> multitudes of rainbows around the face of the earth at all times. So I think that's, that's a huge end point, uh, point. God put the rainbow in the cloud to remind himself to never destroy all living flesh and the earth again. That's an incredible, incredible thought. So what do you think the impact of the Noahic covenant is? What impact does that covenant have? Why is it important? What is the impact of it? Perpetuates the lineage of Adam. Not that we can fear those disasters in it because God is sovereign over them, but it does provide a measure of comfort. Okay, that's one huge point. I want I want to emphasize that because we live in a world that has the nuclear clock right. That's about four or five minutes to twelve. Been there for a long time, you know. You got the doomsdayers, you got the uh, climate change hucksters. Uh, you know, say if we don't do this, the world's going to come to an end. If we don't do that, you got all kinds of doomsdayers, hucksters out there continuously saying that the world's going to come to an end if we don't do this, if we don't do that. Pay no attention to none of that. It is all a lie. God Himself said to Himself in verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. We have God's oath that the perpetuity and the continuity of nature will not end until God ends it in the end with fire. So as Christians, you can relax. That's one of the, and you can, we need to be sharing that with their unbelieving friends and even our Christian friends who have got caught up in such things as climate change and other, uh, other things that are out there that are concerning people that have no biblical base. However, the main impact of the Noahic Covenant I don't think we think about a lot. The Noahic Covenant is the foundation upon which all other covenants rest. That's why it's first. So the Abrahamic, Jewish, Priestly, Davidic, and New Covenant, none of them would exist or could happen apart from the Noahic Covenant. Why is that? That's because the certainty of the other covenants is anchored in the order of nature promised in the first covenant. The certainty of the other covenants is anchored in the order of nature promised in the first covenant. The Noahic Covenant provides the biblical theological framework within which all subsequent human and divine covenants operate. So those other covenants are all operating within the framework of the Noahic covenant. We don't think about that, maybe at all. Is a hard and fast marker telling us that God will maintain the present order until the new creation. That's why you can be sure the rest of the covenants will happen as God said because of the Noahic Covenant. 
This fact allows for God's kingdom plans to unfold in history. And so in this Noahic covenant, there's some provisions. I'm just going to run through them real quick because uh, I'm just trying to speed things up. Number one, God's provision for humanity. God commits to provide stability of nature, verse 22. Noah is told to multiply and fill the earth, Genesis 9, 1 and 7. Again, it's a reiteration of the charge that God gives to Adam. Be fruitful and multiply. God causes animals, birds, and fish to fear man. Before the flood, they had not feared man. Uh, animals become food for man, Genesis 9, 3 through 4. That was new. Number five, man's life is sacred. Man is the image bearer of God, Genesis 9, 5, and 6. And in verse 6, you probably don't think about this a lot. It's part of the Noahic covenant. Capital punishment is instated as a punishment for those who murder an image bearer of God. And that even includes animals. If any animal or, ma or man kills a man, that animal or man is to be put to death. There is capital punishment in the Noahic covenant and also then implemented into the Mosaic law in Exodus that if an animal or a man kills a man or woman, they are to be put to death. That is staggering. In the Noahic Covenant, God declares the value of man because man is an image bearer of God. That is huge, huge. It's so huge that if an animal kills a human, that animal is to be killed. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. So we're not going to talk about this today, but where do you think that puts abortion? When we're killing image bearers of God. We've got to preach that story. We're killing image bearers of God. And then God promises never to destroy the world by water again. So question, is the Noahic covenant conditional or unconditional covenant? God doesn't require anything of man, does he? In fact, he says, every thought of man from his youth is evil. But he still doesn't require anything of man to fulfill this covenant. Okay, any questions or comments on the Noahic covenant? That's all I'm going to talk about it. It's the foundational covenant. All other covenants operate out of this foundation. Okay, we're going to move on to the Abrahamic covenant. So, Rick's going to be talking a lot about that. We're just getting into chapter 12 of Genesis, and the next probably at least 10 chapters is Abraham. And the covenant is reiterated a number of times in there, so I don't want to steal all of Rick's thunder. We could take months studying the Abrahamic covenant, because we are here today because of the Abrahamic covenant. We're here today. If you're a believer sitting here today, you are a spiritual son and a member of the family of Abraham. Probably uh, 41, 4,200 years ago when God gave the covenant to Abraham. Still in force. We are recipients and participants in that promise that God made to Abraham. All I say is, wow. So I have a question. If someone in your family or a friend in a conversation said, 
You know, I'm not sure about the Bible. Give me proof that the Bible's true. What's the answer to that? Any takers? Fulfilled prophecies, uh, the accuracy of the transcripts, and how much more accurate the biblical transcripts are than any other document in history. Um, there's a lot of historical prophecies in Israel. Uh, the transcripts, <coughs> the number of transcripts. Well, the accuracy of it, yeah. Accuracy. Yeah. Anybody else like to add to that? They willingly won't admit it. Right. They they're willing determined to express the truth. They are determined they're not going to. They know that they won't. Okay, anybody got a guess? One word. Israel. Exactly, Rick. You got it. Israel. Israel. Somebody asked you for proof of the scripture, you only need one word. Israel. Does anybody know a Hittite? Has anybody met a Jebusite? A Gerbicite? An Ammonite, an Amorite. No, nobody has. Anybody know an Israelite? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Is there a nation Israel today? Oh yeah. There is. There is. Israel is proof of the Bible because in the Abrahamic covenant, God promised Abraham a number of things. And Israel, land, a nation, so on and so forth, is one of them. Israel is huge. So, let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. And we're just going to read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. So we don't enter into a formal covenant here yet. We do that in chapter 15. But here we see God actually giving the outline of this covenant to Abraham when he tells him to leave Ur and to head for Canaan and basically this is what God's going to give part of the covenant is verse 1 land 2 great nation 3 he's going to bless Abraham 4 he's going to make his name great 5 Abraham himself is going to be a blessing 
Abraham himself is going to be a blessing. Next, he's, God is going to bless those who bless Abraham and his descendants. He's going to curse those who curse Abraham and his descendants. And all of the families of the earth shall be blessed through Abraham. All the families of the earth. So let's turn over to chapter 15. And this is the actual formal covenant that God makes with Abraham. Chapter 15. It's an incredible story. Uh, it's, um, yeah, the Abrahamic covenant is just incredible. The Abrahamic covenant details how God plans to save people and restore all things. The Abrahamic covenant is also the basis for the other covenants that God will later institute. And so we see this story in uh, chapter 15, and it's just, I'm just going to kind of run through it fairly quickly. Uh, starting with verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, telling Abraham, do not be afraid. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Abraham says, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless and there in my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born of my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And just remember, at that time there would have been no light pollution. No light pollution. Imagine the stars Abraham would have saw. Been massive. Been kind of almost like where Missy lives. Pretty close. How <laughs> much light pollution out there? So shall your descendants be. And here is one of the most important verses of the entire Bible. Genesis 15:6. If you mark in your Bible, mark this verse. If you don't mark in your Bible, take a sticky note and put it there. Or something to remind you. This is the basis of the redemption of mankind. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. That is so huge that Paul uses that as exhibit A in Revelation 4, I'm Revelation, Romans 4 and Galatians 3 as exhibit A for his argument on justification by faith alone. We believe here at Plano's Bible Church that salvation is by justification, is justification by faith alone in Christ alone. That's based on Genesis 15, 6. 4,100 years ago. Imagine. It's huge. So anyway, then uh, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldees, to give you this land. And he, uh, tells, he tells Abraham, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abraham brought him. He cut him in two down the middle, placed a piece on each side, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, Abraham fell into deep sleep. And God said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. That's referring to their exodus to Egypt. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. How many years was it from the time that God gave this covenant to Abraham 
until the Israelites entered the promised land. Anybody know how many years? I'm sure Rick knows. Anybody else? This, this should be very instructive for us. God is a very patient God. You know, time doesn't mean a, a very important God, but it doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, by the grace of heaven, we can we can find that again. Four hundred and forty. From this to the beginning of the law at Mount Sinai was six hundred and forty-five years. We spent another forty years in the wilderness. I think. If I read it correctly, 685 years from the time God gives this covenant to Abraham until the Israelites actually possessed the promised land. 685 years. That's a long time. So anyway, uh, there's some things that God does here. I'm just going to go through this uh, real quick just for the sake of time. Verses 6 and 7. Rick will develop this more as we go through Genesis. Verses 6 and 7. God promises land. Verses 14 through 17, in, verse, in chapter 13, he promises in this land forever. So it's an everlasting, eternal, perpetual covenant. Genesis 15, 1, God promises to protect and reward Abraham. Genesis 15, 5, Abraham's descendants will be as numerous as the stars. Verses 7 through 17 is unilateral, unilateral ratification of the covenant. God walks down through those pieces. It's a blood covenant. God walks down through those two pieces down this aisle by himself. Abraham's asleep. So it's a unilateral, unconditional covenant that God makes with Abraham. Abraham does nothing. He's asleep. He's asleep. God does it all. Uh, verses 18 through 21, God gives the specific dimensions of the land promise. And it's from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates. So basically from the Nile to the Euphrates is going to be Israel's land someday. And it was briefly during the time of David and Solomon. But it shall be again. Uh, chapter 17, verse 2, God will multiply his descendants. He will make him the father of many nations. 17.6, very important verse. Kings will come from Abraham. So who are those kings? Right here. Davidic covenant. The line of David will come from Abraham. We'll see that later on. Uh, set, verse 7, it's an everlasting covenant. Verse 8, all the land of Canaan. Verses 10 through 14, not going to look, but what is the sign of this covenant? Where's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant? Circumcision. Circumcision. Yes. Circumcision is the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. So covenants have a sign. Rainbow is no egg. Circumcision is the covenant sign. Okay. Uh, over and then you don't have to turn there. Genesis 22. God reaffirms his covenant with Abraham. Abraham's descendants will be innumerable, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham's seed. One thing I do want to say is you read scripture, you will see the word seed in there. You have to be really careful because it can be plural or it can be singular. So you have to have the context. Context. Because sometimes the word seed is referring to all of Abraham's descendants. 
which is millions and probably billions, maybe, of people. Sometimes it's singular as referring to Christ. Christ alone. Because Christ is of the seed of Abraham. So it can be plural singular. You need to be watch that very carefully. <coughs> okay, with the Abrahamic covenant, God obligates himself to bring blessings to three parties. Three parties. I know we haven't specifically read all the verses in these chapters, but do you know what three parties that God specifically owes to bless in the Abrahamic covenant? What three parties? You have to name all three. You want to? You just want to name one. That's your guess. Who does God covenant to bless? Three parties. Abraham and his descendants. Abraham and his descendants. Okay. All, all the nations. Yeah, all those are right. So I'll be just a little bit more specific. Promise to bless Abraham, <clears throat> Israel, and the Gentiles. That's your descendants and that's all the nations. Three parties. Abraham, Israel, and the Gentiles. God covenants to bless. <clears throat> so how will the Gentiles be blessed? Can anybody tell us that? How will the Gentiles be blessed? Christ. Christ. What was the original state of the Gentiles? What does the Bible say was the original state of the Gentiles? They may know where that's at. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Add a couple places. Ephesians and <coughs> Romans. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's the original state of the Gentiles. Ephesians chapter 2, let's go over to verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Here is the original state of the Gentiles. Remember, the Gentiles are those who are the uncircumcised. They did not carry the sign of the covenant yet. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, would be the Israelites, the Jews, that at that time, and here is the fivefold state of Gentiles, without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. Well, these, all these covenants are in the Old Testament and are given to the Jews. All of them. These weren't given to Gentiles. They were given to Jews. The Jewish people. There are lots of descendants of Abraham. Lots. First of all, there was Ishmael. Ishmael's not in this. Then he had other sons and daughters. We don't know who they were or how many or what, but he had other sons and daughters. They're not part of this. Isaac was. So God confirms his covenant with Isaac. Through Isaac's seed, this covenant will be named. And Isaac has two sons, right? 
twin. Jacob and Esau. Well, the lion sued Jacob, not Esau. So really, Jacob is the one who is the act. His name became Israel. God changed his name to Israel. Jacob is the one who actually the line is through. All of Jacob's descendants are part of the Abrahamic covenant. So Gentiles are strangers from the covenants of promise because they were given to Israel. They're no hope and without God. Can you, can you imagine what a state we were in? Just think of that. Without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, no hope and without God. That was our state. That's a sad state. That's a terrible state to be in. But the new state, verse 13, two of the most important words in Scripture, but now. But now. But now. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we who were strangers without Christ, no hope, we're now in. We're now in because of this and this, which we'll get to later. We're not going to get to them today. I can see that right now. Let's turn to Romans 9. Romans 9 is one of the most hated chapters in the Bible maybe the most hated chapter in the Bible, but actually has some things in it that uh, we don't think about a lot. Let's start at verse 1. This is Paul writing to the church of Rome. He says, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ my brethren. One of the most incredible statements in Scripture, Paul wishing himself a curse from Christ for his fellow Israelites. That's, a, that's just amazing. My countrymen, according to the flesh, flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh Christ came who is over all the eternal blessed God amen but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect for they are not all Israel who are of Israel and I do want to say this in the New Testament I think the word Israel occurs it might depend upon your translation about 73 times the word Israel occurs about 73 times in the New Testament. And in every case, it means Israel. It doesn't mean the church or some spiritual body. It means Israel. You've got to get that. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise, that this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, 
for the children not yet being born or having been done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. So he goes on and goes through this whole argument. And we get over to verse 25. He quotes a prophecy from Hosea. Paul does. And this is what Hosea wrote. As he says, also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people. Who's that? Gentiles. Gentiles. I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not my beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, which we weren't. We were not God's people. And we weren't for thousands of years. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Why? Because God is faithful to the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, let's turn to uh, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. The entire plan of salvation, the entire plan of redemption, God's redeeming purposes and activity all flow out of the Abrahamic covenant. All of it. People who are being redeemed today, who are coming to saving faith in Christ, are receiving the blessing and promise of the Abrahamic covenant. Right now, today. It's amazing. So let's go to 3, chapter 3 in Galatians, and starting at verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Then in verse 6, just as Abraham, here he's quoting Genesis 15, 6, believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles. So the scriptures foresaw, and it's in the Abrahamic covenant, clear back in Genesis 15, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Amazing. A result of the Abrahamic covenant is the salvation of the Gentiles. <coughs> so if we, if we go over to verse 28, same chapter. So we have to remember we're in the New Testament. And Paul is writing to a New Testament church. So context is king. The New Testament, Paul's writing to a New Testament church. He says in verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Here seed is plural. And heirs according to the promise. What was the promise? Abraham, all nations would be blessed. 
only. <coughs> so as Gentiles now, through Christ, down line from the Abrahamic covenant through the new covenant, Gentiles are brought into this blessing that God promised Abraham. And we're clear back in Galatians. We are over, well over 2,000 years later than Abrahamic covenant still in force. So, we've got a few minutes left. Here's a great place to distinguish the difference between a covenant and a promise. Now, Abraham had two sons that we know about that are specifically named. Okay? Who are they? Ishmael and Isaac. Who was the son of the covenant? Isaac. Did God promise Ishmael anything? He did, didn't he? Let's take a look at that. This will show you the difference between a covenant and a promise. Uh, let's look at Genesis 17 first. Genesis 17. And let's go to verse 18. Just to kind of set the story, let's go to 1717. 1717. Then Abram, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So here's Abraham's solution. I got a son, Ishmael. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. So there's promises. God is making promises to Abraham for Ishmael. Those promises are, I'll bless him, I'll make him fruitful, I'll multiply him exceedingly, he's going to beget 12 princes, and I'll make him a great nation. Those are promises, but it's not a covenant. It's not a covenant. Because God says in verse 21, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Huge difference between covenant and a promise. So Ishmael gets a few promises. So over here, the covenant man is Isaac. And the absolute whole storyline of scripture from that point forward is Isaac and his seed, Abrahamic covenant. And the Abrahamic covenant is still in force. And uh, everything that's going on in the world today <coughs> is to bring about the consummation and the culmination of the Abrahamic covenant. Okay. There are chapters in the Bible that Rick will be developing that on. That's just a brief overview. Any questions, comments, thoughts on the Noahic or Abrahamic covenant?
voice. So you could say then the overarching blessing of the covenant is salvation? Absolutely. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. That blessing flows through the entirety of the Abrahamic covenant. Salvation by faith alone. In Christ alone, who is the new covenant. He's a mediator of the new covenant. He's a testator of the new covenant. Uh... Mr. Hanneberry in this book, and I think he's right, I may not disprove it, says Christ is the new covenant. I think you're pretty safe in making that statement. He is the new covenant. He is the redeemer. From the line of David, from Abraham. Does that make sense? been curious about when they talk about a remnant, you know, Noah preserved through the ark and then are these is that Brenda with some of this about covenants? I mean how a remnant is preserved uh, in Christ, you know, or is this a different subject? No, let's turn to um, let's see. Turn to Luke. First chapter of Luke. And I was actually going to use some of this as my ending, but we'll bring the ending up to today because it answers your question. Uh, turn to first chapter of Luke. I believe that's where I want to be. Yes. And let's go to uh, 46 to begin with. Verse 46, first chapter of Luke, verse 46. Uh, this is where Mary has went to visit Elizabeth. Okay, so Mary's pregnant. <clears throat> Elizabeth is pregnant. The baby leaps in her womb. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. But then to Mary, the mother of Jesus, in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. So we have Mary's song here. And uh, if we move down to verse 54. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Do you think that the New Testament Israelites were awaiting God's redemption and deliverance as promised in the Abrahamic, Davidic, and New Covenant? Absolutely. Here's Mary, who might have been 14, 16, young. She was fully aware about Israel in remembrance of God's mercy. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. She was fully aware of these covenants, God's promises, and they were waiting for the fulfillment of that. In that same chapter... John is born, and his father, Zacharias, makes a prophecy. <clears throat> and 
Verse 71, we'll start at verse 71, chapter 1. That we should be safe from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. This is Zechariah. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. What is that? It's the Abrahamic covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So the remnant, God preserved a remnant. To this time, those people knew it, and they were still believing it. They were still waiting for deliverance based upon the Abrahamic covenant, which had been given 2,100 years prior. God's people were believing it and waiting for it. Well, today, 2,000 years later, God's people are still believing it and waiting on the final fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, which is all in the new covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is still in force <coughs> and it's still going to be fulfilled. Israel will, Israel, Israel's in our land. 1948. So, that's amazing. AD 70, she was destroyed. AD 70, Israel was no more. She went 1,878 years without a nation. Isn't that amazing? 1,878 years, there was no Israel. She was dispersed over the entire earth. They were everywhere. Jews were everywhere. The Bible says in prophecy that God's going to put a spirit in them in the last days to return to their mother home. And they did, massively, in force, starting in 1948. They're not believers yet. They're still apostate. But the day is coming, Isaiah says, they're going to recognize, Isaiah 53, they're going to recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And Romans 11, 26 says, all Israel will be saved. All Israel, at the time that that occurs, and they recognize that Jesus Christ is their Messiah, the entire nation of Israel is going to be saved. That's going to be an incredible event. An apostate nation. We rejected from Zion for over 2,000 years. Yeah. Someday, not too distant future, it's going to recognize their Messiah. And the entire nation is going to be saved. Fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. They're going to be in their land. Christ returning to earth. It's going to reign for a thousand years. In the millennium reign. And Israel is going to be his main people that govern and delegate with him the entire earth. They're going to be restored to their original intention that God intended them for. When he gave them the Mosaic Covenant and put them in the land of Canaan to be a special people and missionaries to the entire world. When he put them in Canaan, that was the crossroads of the world. Africa, India, Asia, Europe, all that trade crossed right there in the Middle East. God put them there. They didn't fulfill this covenant. But this covenant supersedes this covenant because this is an everlasting and conditional covenant. This is a temporal 
conditional covenant. So Israel's failure to keep the Mosaic covenant did not negate the Abrahamic covenant. <coughs> That's important to know. Israel still has a place in God's economy and it's not very far away. Okay, we're past time. We'll pick up with the Mosaic covenant.